I'm sure in your homes, as in our homes, you've been watching the progress of things overseas this week. And one thing strikes me about the assault on Ukraine, the assault on the, the peace of that nation, is that the assault has not come from one direction. If you watch closely, as you notice the invasion beginning, it came from multiple sides of their nation. And I thought about that, and I thought what's true for Ukraine in the physical world is also true in our spiritual battle as believers, the spiritual battle we face as the body of Christ. The attack on our peace comes from multiple directions. We have an enemy, Satan, and his demonic forces. We also, as human beings, battle a flesh that sometimes assaults the peace. And I think about at least three directions the attack comes from on the peace that we should be living in as children of God. Uh, the first approach is when worldly pride and our thirst to be first, our thirst for prominence destroys the peace in our relationships with other believers in Jesus Christ. Also think about the attack where worry destroys the peace in our hearts. And last, as I looked at this passage, I think about how wicked thoughts destroy the peace in our minds. Those attacks are real. How many of you know those attacks in this world? That's the bad news. The good news is Paul presents a path to follow that we might enjoy the peace we are called to as believers. So a subtitle for this message could be How to Live in the Peace of God Through Faith in the God of Peace. If you read this passage this week, you notice both of those phrases were in there. Verse 7, you see the phrase, the peace of God. And then in verse 9, you see the title for God, the God of Peace. And I want to be clear, as I talk about experiencing the peace of God, I'm not talking primarily about the objective peace of God that the believer receives the moment he turns to Christ. The moment you turn to Christ, you have peace in your relationship with God where there used to be enmity because of your sin. Nothing in this world can touch that. Nothing can separate you from the love of Christ. But there are many things in this world that can touch your experience of the peace of God in your moment-by-moment -moment life. That's what Paul is focusing on today. That's what I'm going to focus on today. How can we fully enjoy the peace that God offers us? First, we're going to talk about that first attack. How can we enjoy peace with our partners in ministry? Fellow members of the body of Christ, all on the same mission. How do we enjoy that peace? Verse 2 tells us there was a problem in the Philippian church. And I'm sure it was only 2,000 years ago. Today we've advanced past all this. <laughs> of course, I say that facetiously because we still battle the flesh. What was going on? Verse 2, it says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. We learn from verse 3, these are two women in the Philippian church. And, and as Paul writes from his imprisonment in Rome, evidently he's heard that they're, they're bickering with one another. And he uses some strong words here. He says, I entreat Euodia and I entreat Syntyche. What's the idea there? He's, it's the idea of begging, compelling, I urge you, agree in the Lord. As we talk about conflict in the body of Christ, I'm going to share three checks with you that I believe will help us navigate through conflict because it does happen. 
whether in your home or the church or the business you work at, just because we're Christians does not mean there's no conflict, okay? How do we handle it when it happens, not if it happens? <laughs> That's the question here. Three checks. The first one is when conflict comes up, check the plank in your own eye before you move forward. Of course, Jesus tells us that, Matthew 7, right? Verse 4, how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite, first take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. The picture is comic if it wasn't so tragic. You imagine someone walking around with a telephone pole and coming over to someone else saying, it looks like you got a little dirt in your eye. It's almost humorous, but it's really tragic because we're so prone to that. I see that Paul does not tell one of these women to agree in the Lord. He entreats them both, which implies something that most times when there's a conflict, each person has a part in it. Most times. Not always, but we need to remember that, hard as it is to see our, our own part. Check the plank in your own eye. Second, check your motives and methods as you go to talk about that conflict with the other person. I take this from where he says, I entreat them to what? Agree in the Lord. That's an important phrase there, in Jesus. Agree in Jesus. And I take a couple things out of that. What's that mean? Well, agree with his empowerment. It's his strength that's going to help the body resolve this. Agree for his glory and for the good of his mission. It's in him. So when we go to talk to that other person, we need to check our motives and methods. Be good to ask ourselves, am I really going to talk to this person for the glory of Christ and the good of that other person? and the good of the body of which we're a part? Or is this really just about winning an argument? I like a post that Marie shared this week on Facebook. It said, pride is concerned with who is right. Humility is concerned with what is right about what is right, you look at the biblical purpose of the church. Is that what I really care about here? Or is it something more sinister, more selfish? When Jesus calls disciples, what do you say? I will make you fishers of men. Fishers of men. Yeah. I think about conflict in the church. I appreciate what Max Lucado shared years ago. It's when the fishermen aren't fishing that they usually fight. We've, we're here for a very short time on a mission. What's he saying? If we would focus on that mission, it would save us from a lot of the silly, stupid squabbles that we sometimes find ourselves in with our brothers and sisters in Christ. When the fishermen don't fish, they fight. Those of you who are at the meeting last week, Heard this already. Those of you who weren't will hear it this morning that one of the things we're praying for, not just in 2022, but going forward as a church, when we talk about live a full life in Jesus and bring others along for the ride, that fullness implies there's going to be an overflow. We all have a Holy Spirit within us. who's like a river of life. And that overflow for the church in this world is to go where? Out into the lives of the lost. And so we shared three things that you're going to hear over and over this year. I want to invite you to pray these things and do these things as individuals, as groups, and as a church as a whole. Let's put the first one up there, Stetson. I want to invite us all to pray for opportunities. Boy, we threw a lot of extra slides at you this morning. I'm sorry. Pray for opportunities. It starts there. Lord, give me opportunities. Give us opportunities to overflow into the lives of the lost people in our world. Second, 
Look for the open doors. I've seen it in my life, and if you've ever prayed for opportunities, you probably have too. You pray for them. God's going to put them there. He's going to put open doors for you to share Christ as individuals, as your midweek groups, as a church. And finally, seize the moment. When that opportunity is there, realize you got to take it. We're here for a short time, even if we live 100 years. Jesus could take us to be with him this afternoon. Seize the moment. Someone after the first service caught this and came back and he said, I've got a neighbor who's dying of cancer. We had breakfast this week. He said, would you pray for me? I really feel led to share the gospel with my neighbor. He's an atheist. Yes, we prayed for that. He was seizing the moment. Pray for opportunities, look for open doors, seize the moment. It's when we lose sight of this that this is why the church is still here. This is why God didn't just take us to enjoy heaven right away. When we lose sight of that, sometimes when we start fighting. So check the plank, check your motives. I want to go on here. Verse 3, Paul says, I ask you also, true companion, help these women. So Paul is asking someone, either in the Philippian church or someone he's sending with the letter to help these women resolve their conflict. Now think about this. Where was Paul likely? There's debate about the exact location of his imprisonment. Likely Rome. Hundreds of miles away from Philippi, and he has now heard about this conflict. Whoa. Now we don't know all the details of how it got that far, but listen. Is that not sometimes the result of gossip? When a conflict begins with someone else, often our first inclination is to go spread it to someone else. Jesus says, do not do that. You remember Matthew 18? When he talks about conflict that will arise. Matthew 18, 15. If your brother sins against you, go and tell him his fault between you and him alone. You hear that word alone? Oh, that's harder, isn't it? Because then you're, you're, you're going to that person. That's, that's a lot harder than going to your buddy or your other friend in the church and saying, did you hear? Did you know? It's dangerous. Last night at the dinner table, we were reading a devotional from Joe White from focus on the family with the boys. And he told a true story of a town where there was a principal. The principal's wife had died and he had a young daughter. And shortly after that, a young lady, beautiful blonde, showed up at his house most evenings at 6.30 and stayed until about 10 o'clock. And oh, how the rumor mill started turning. That principal, he sits in church on Sunday and nods his head with the preacher. Now look what's going on over at his house. It, it got to the point where he showed up at a school board meeting and they voted him out of his position at the school. You can imagine the shock of those with ears to hear after they discovered what was really going on. Many didn't know that he had a blind daughter. And that the woman who showed up at his house every night was one of the only people who could teach his daughter how to read Braille. Along the way, when the rumor mill was going, things got worse because she developed a bump. She was pregnant. And oh, you can bet that that just confirmed everything. Imagine their shock. Imagine their shock when they learned later that that was not the principal's baby. That was the baby of her veteran soldier husband who had recently passed away in war in the Persian Gulf. Oh, but the gossip had started. The damage had been done. Oh, how it could have been solved if, if there had been more communication. That's the first one. Check in with the other person first. Now, sometimes additional help is needed. 
That's what's going on in this case. Even after you go to that person, Jesus talks about it. If you don't resolve it, then bring another believer in. Evidently, Paul needs help here for whatever reason. He says, true companion, help these women. And I want you to notice what Paul does here. It's brilliant, number one, because it's inspired by God. But he's going to emphasize the unity of the body of Christ which is something we need to remember when we have conflict, that we are all on the same team. Watch this. Verse 3 says, Help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel. You see how he's emphasizing we're, we're in this together? We've labored side by side together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers. Again, more togetherness, whose names are in the book of life. That's the master stroke right there. Remember that believer you have conflict with, their name is in the book of life, just like yours is. And how would the Savior who died for them like you to navigate this difficult situation as you work with them through this conflict? We're all in it together. I think about what desperate parents sometimes do. What they do when two kids won't stop fighting, they get this giant T-shirt and says something on the front in Sharpie like, this is our fighting shirt. <laughs> and they make both, people, both the kids wear that same shirt. <laughs> Two kids in one shirt to remind them you're in this together. Now, we're not going to do that at church. But I do want us to always remember we're in this together. Conflict will arise. We're on the same team. Our ultimate battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against principality and power. So let me ask you a question. Is, is the peace with your partners in ministry under assault this morning? Are there any steps that you need to take to work towards peace with that brother or sister? That's the first one. Peace with our partners in ministry. Second one, I want to talk about how to experience peace in the middle of our problems. I look around the room and I'm mindful of a phrase that I like and I happen to think is true. Every person you meet is fighting a battle that you know nothing about. I look around this room and I'm sure that's true in this room. You came in here carrying a number of, of burdens and, and challenges that others in this room may, may or may not know anything about is it possible to have peace to experience peace even in the middle of those problems Paul's going to tell us an absolute yes yes it's possible to have peace believer in the middle of your problems I'm going to give you three R's on this one how how do I experience peace in the middle of this first R Rejoice in the Lord. Verse 4. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say, rejoice. That is an imperative, also known as a command. God would not put that command in there were it not possible by the Holy Spirit. Rejoice in the Lord. That in the Lord is important. Why? Because as you look at life and you're going through life, some days are good, some days are brutal, right? Circumstances change, but our God never does. He is always faithful. He always loves his children. He's always working all things together for the good of those who love him. So believer, whatever you're going through, you can rejoice in the Lord. I think of Isaiah 26, 3. You keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you because he trusts in you. That's what that old hymn says, right? Turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of earth will grow strangely dim in the light of his glory and grace. You rejoice in the Lord. As we've been praying for 
the innocent folks in Ukraine, one day this week, some of the pictures caught us at our house. Pictures of wounded, dead, the thought of children being in the middle of that, the, the traffic jam of, of hundreds and thousands of people desperately trying to get out of harm's way. And at moments like that, the mind may go, God, have you, have you forgotten? Hey, are, are, are you not working there? Where, what's going on? The psalmist wrestled with that when he went through hard times. But that same day we read Psalm 10 and we read it at the table. How do you rejoice in the Lord in this world because of truths like this? Psalm 10, 16, the Lord is king forever and ever. The nations perish from his land. O Lord, you hear the desire of the afflicted. You will strengthen their heart. You will incline your ear to do justice to the fatherless and the oppressed so that man who is of the earth may strike terror no more. The only way to rejoice this side of heaven is to rejoice in our unchanging God. Second, rejoice that he's near. Rejoice that he's near. Whatever you're going through this morning, believer, God is near. Now that can mean one of two things. He's near to the situation, which is true. It could also mean that his return is near in the grand scheme of things. Scholars debate about which. They're both true. They're both true. So how do we live in light of that? Verse 5, he says, let your reasonableness. Some translate that gentleness. Some translate that graciousness. Let your gentleness, your graciousness toward others be known to everyone. Why? The Lord is at hand. Say gentleness and graciousness in the middle of what I'm going through? Like that is the total opposite of what the flesh does, right? When, when the flesh encounters a problem, what happens? All resources go in on me. I believe that's why the word says in the last days, the love of most will grow cold. So much trouble. The flesh says, just focus here on you and yours. God says something different. Let your gentleness and graciousness be known to everyone because the Lord is at hand. He's near your situation and his return is coming. So overflow into the lives of those who need you, believer. I think about the churches in Ukraine. Robbie and Ava at the, the first service told me that Franklin Graham and the Samaritan's Purse are right now working with 3,000 churches on the ground in Ukraine. Think of those believers. You pray for them, Lord. Help them rejoice in you. Help them rejoice that you're near. And out of that, through your spirit, overflow into the lives of their countrymen who need to know you at this moment. Overflow in their gentleness and graciousness that stands apart from those around. Rejoice that he's near. Then the third one, request his help in grateful prayer. It's from our memory verse this month. Do not be anxious about anything. That word anxious is interesting. You, you know what worry is. You're divided and torn apart inside so that you cannot focus. Anxious about anything. Don't. But in everything, by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. There's a fork in the road. You have a problem. One road says be anxious. The other says take it to the Lord. You're standing at a fork this morning. Which one are you going to take? I think about the importance of communication in, in wartime. One of the first things that was done to Ukraine is their, their internet was taken down. I read just this morning that Elon Musk, who we referenced at the beginning of this series in Philippians, he did something very cool. Maybe you've heard of his Starlink satellites that enable people to get internet access. 
He sent those over Ukraine so that the people in Ukraine could have internet access again. Why? He knows that especially in wartime, communication is essential. It's essential. And I want to tell you what's true in the physical world, believer, is true in our lives as believers. There's a spiritual battle going on. And we got something much better than Starlink. We have a Savior who has gone through the heavens, who has opened the communication lines between us and God. That's why Paul gives us this amazing command. But I see it as more than just a command. What an invitation. What an invitation. Don't be anxious about anything, but in everything. By prayer. Prayer is the... The general word for prayer in Greek, sometimes it, it focuses on the worship aspect of talking to a deity. That's a great place to start when you're in the middle of a problem because what does that do? It focuses you on the God you're talking to. I praise you, Lord, that you are sovereign. I'm not in control here, but you are. I praise you for your faithfulness that you keep every one of your covenants. I praise you for your undying love. You know what that does in the heart of someone in the middle of a problem? Start there. Supplication with thanksgiving, let your request be made known to God. The supplication and request, that's getting to the specific need. God wants you to take your need to Him today. No matter how big, no matter how small. I've heard well-meaning believers say to me, I never ask God for anything for myself. I, I pray for others and, and things like that. And while that sounds holy or something, I often tell them, he, he invites you to, He commands you to. He's your Father. He loves you. Take that to Him. Why deprive yourself of that opportunity if you're a child of God? But then we get to the sticky word in here, in the middle of problems, and everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. You almost want to say, Paul, uh, did your pen slip there? Thanksgiving? Because when I go through problems in my flesh, that is not my first response. I may be more inclined to something like cursing <laughs> in my flesh. When this problem hits, why are you talking about Thanksgiving? How, how can you talk about Thanksgiving and for that matter, where we started peace in the middle of this problem, Paul? Well, I want to tell you an old story that helped me wrap my mind around this. Maybe you've heard this story. There was a married couple on a ship overseas and, and a storm whipped up. The lightning was flashing, the, the wind was blowing, the, the waves were coming in the ship. People were getting seasick. The ship is floating lower than it was hours before and the wife in the couple is freaking out. She's panicked and, and she looks at her husband and, and she says, how do you have such peace in the middle of this? Look around you. And he went in the cargo and grabbed a sharp sword and held it close to his wife. And he said, are you afraid? And she said, no. He said, why? She said, because of who's holding the sword. He went on to say to his wife, I know that whatever trials I face in this life, my father is holding it. He's in control. He knew of a father who would work all things together for the good of those who love him. I read that story. It made me think about a visit I had in Dewey on Friday. Many of you prayed for George Wheeler on Christmas Eve. He was rushed down to Phoenix for a, a brain bleed. and It was not looking good. He's been back and forth between surgeries in the hospital since then. I was out visiting with he and Deb on Friday, and I talked to him and asked him about the journey, and he told me some interesting things. He said, God felt so close to me. He felt so close to me, especially in those moments right before the surgery. 
He said, and I've learned something through all this. He said, I've learned to be thankful in the middle of the problem. That is something to learn, right? Because it's, it's one thing to be thankful when life's going well. It's one thing to be thankful when we're past the problem and look back and see what God did. But in the middle, in the middle of it, he said, I've learned to be thankful. Why? Because he, he's learning more about who his father is and his nearness to him. Which fork are you taking with your problem? Anxiety or, or taking that to the Lord with thanksgiving? What happens? What's the promise from Paul if we do? Well, it just keeps getting better. Verse 7. is the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Wow. Surpasses all understanding. I like what John Walbert said about this. This peace from God, it's superhuman rather than purely psychological, and it's unexplainable by natural forces. Have you ever experienced that in the middle of the fire? I hope so. Hope so. Surpasses all understanding. That could point to one of two things. It's far better than the human method. What's the human method? Worry, 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 worry. What's Jesus say that gets you? He says you can't even add an hour to your day. It's totally ineffective. It's like putting sugar in a gas tank. Worry. Right? God's method. So much better. It actually works. Not just the method, the actual result. The results speak for themselves. He gives a greater peace than any human means could ever offer. I hope you have experienced that in your trials, and if not, that you embrace this invitation from God to find that. It will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is like a garrison of soldiers. You think of all those Ukrainian soldiers and, and, and young, young men and maybe even women at this point out there with their guns building a garrison to protect the places and people they love against the, the enemy. He says that's what God's peace will do. It will set up a garrison around your heart. It will guard your heart and your mind. Charles Spurgeon in the 1800s preached about reactive trust in the middle of problems and proactive trust. The Bible speaks of both. There are moments where we'll need both. First, the reactive. Psalm 56, 3, when I am afraid, find yourself there, worried, fearful. When I am afraid, I put my trust in you. That's the reactive. That's something available to you as a believer. But Spurgeon made the point that there's something even better in that reactive trust. He goes to Isaiah 12, 2 for proactive trust. He says, I will trust and will not be afraid. When I hear him talking about that, what I hear is this. What about I wake up in the morning and before the trials of the day even come, I just decide at the beginning of the day, God, I trust you. And so not if it comes, but when it comes, I will not be afraid. Because I trust you. What problems are you battling today? Do you have peace? Are you rejoicing in the Lord? Are you rejoicing that he's near? Are you taking your request to him in grateful prayer? He's waiting waiting final one I want to talk about is peace in our ponderings I'm talking about our thought life there's a battle for our minds Paul addresses it in verse 8 he says finally brothers whatever is true whatever is honorable whatever is just whatever is pure whatever is lovely Whatever is commendable, 
If there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. I want to show you a clip from a movie that illustrates this battle for our minds. It's The Voyage of the Dawn Treader. They veered from C.S. Lewis's book a bit, and normally I rail against that when people do that, but they make a good point in this scene, so I actually honestly rather enjoy it. Just to set the stage, there's a ship on the sea. Edmund and his sister Lucy and Prince Caspian are on that ship with other people. And this whole crew is on a mission to set slaves free. These, these slaves have been imprisoned by an evil force, and the evil force sends out this green mist to the ship, we'll see. And the green mist, as you see, attacks the minds, the thoughts of all those good men and women on this ship. Check it out. dead. You can never kill me. I'll always be alive in your mind, silly boy. No! Edmund. Are you all right? Yeah. Okay, so we see the green mist with our eyes. We see the ways it manifests itself, so we get that. Where we sometimes fall down is that this battle is every bit as real in our moment-to-moment -moment life. Where, where we fail to recognize it or why we perhaps fail to is we can't see it with our eyes. But this is the first of three R's here when it comes to peace in our ponderings. Realize there is a battle going on for your thought life and it takes intentionality. Not every thought that crosses your radar is from you. Not every thought that crosses your radar is from God. There is a spiritual battle going on. And, and we have to realize that when it comes to what we choose to dwell on, to think about, it takes intentionality if we are to experience the, the peace of God. Not every thought that crosses our minds is worth dwelling on. We need to set a guard at the gate of our mind. And, and Paul gives us a checklist. When a thought shows up there, check it against this list. Is it true? Is this thought true? Just take a moment and think about it. Don't assume it's true. Is it true based on what I know of the Word of God? Is this true? Is it honorable? Is it pure? Is it lovely? beautiful is it commendable is it excellent is it worthy of praise you think of that list where do we find thoughts and words like this above all else some of you are holding it God's word let me just take one example the word pure I was in Psalm 12 this week. Psalm 12, 6 says, The words of the Lord are pure words, 
like silver refined in a furnace on the ground, purified seven times. Go through Psalm 119 and look for these characteristics about God's word. Yes, yeah, 176 verses. We binge watch stuff on TV. Maybe we can binge read some scripture. Look at all the beautiful ways God's word is described. It, it's all of these. That should be the primary thing our thought life is focused on. Okay? And when he says, think about these things, it's a very particular kind of thinking. It's, it's dwelling on. It, it's ruminating. Some have explained it as what cows do when they eat something. What do they do? They chew the cud. Yeah, they, they take that bite and then for hours and hours. He's saying, do that with these kind of thoughts. Do that with, with God's word. I think about mouthwash and oatmeal. <laughs> Don't let your time in God's word be like your mouthwash. What do you do? You put that in, swish it around, spit it out, and a half hour later, nobody knows you had it, right? Oatmeal, what do you do? You eat that bowl and it goes down in you. And it gives you strength to last throughout the morning and maybe then some. Don't let your time in God's word be mouthwash. Let it be oatmeal. I think about input and output. We know this in physical things that we put in. I think about the lengths some of us go to to get pure water. Wednesday night when that cold storm was blowing in, we realized we were out of our purified water. So I was out in the cold out in front of Safeway with not just one, not just two, but three five-gallon containers filling it up so we could get that pure water in our house. Couldn't dare have tap water for one day of a snowstorm. <laughs> we think about that, right? We think about what we put in physically. Do we think about what we put in our thought life? We know the connection between input and output physically. I learned a long time ago that I try not to, and I apologize if I have since then, I try not to eat anything with garlic on Saturday night. I remember a day when I was preaching one time, I was talking with the sound guy, and I saw him back up. He said, whoa, what'd you have for dinner last night? Well, we're at Olive Garden. We know that garlic goes in. It's coming out, right? <laughs> Same is true with our thoughts. It, it's what's in here. Jesus talks a lot about the heart. That's where it begins. What are we putting in? Because that's eventually what comes out. Ruminate on thoughts that have those traits we listed. And then finally, reject thoughts that do not. Reject thoughts that don't, do not. Let's look at the opposites for a minute. Okay, he says true. So if a thought comes to my mind that upon examination is false or mixed or deceptive, reject it. Opposite of honorable is dishonorable, shameful. Send it packing. Opposite of pure is impure, defiled, nasty, rejected. Opposite of lovely or beautiful, what's that? Unlovely, disgusting, commendable. Opposite is something worthy of critique. Would the Lord, our judge, critique that thought? What would he think? Opposite of excellence, I'm not going to go right to overt evil. You know what I'm going to go to? Mediocrity. Don't settle for mediocre thoughts. There's so many excellent things we could be pondering as children of God. Ambassadors in His kingdom. Worthy of praise. Opposite of that is a thought that's worthy of punishment. Those show up at the door, you send them packing. I think of the movie clip, the, 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 the woman that came to the first man. That was what? Seduction, a temptation. My dad rejected that on his computer at home growing up, and probably for us boys too, he put it there. He put a verse from the Psalms that said, I will set no vile thing before my eyes. Reject that, because that's where the temptation comes. 
for a lot of us guys. Reject it. What about the, the king who's heard the voice from his father? What kind of king are you? Well, when the enemy comes, God couldn't use you. You're too messed up. You reject that thought. You say, let me tell you who I am in Christ. Let me go to Ephesians 1 and tell you I'm redeemed. I'm covered in his blood. I'm gifted by the Holy Spirit and I am victorious in Christ. I am adopted as a child of God. What about Edmund when the white witch who had already been killed in a previous movie comes and what did he do? He, he did it a little bit. He said, you're dead. But when the enemy comes to you, believer, and, and acts as though he has power over you like he used to, I'm your master. You tell him, I remember what happened at the cross when my Lord made a spectacle of you. You don't have that mastery over me any longer. How's the battle for your mind going? You have peace in your thought life? You ready to stop being a, a hapless victim of every thought that comes your way? Get intentional about what you dwell on? I'm going to close with verse 9 here and look at Paul's example. So it sure helps in all these things to walk with some other believers that can encourage us. Paul was that to this Philippian church. He says, what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me. It wasn't just talking. They saw it in him. He says, practice these things and the God of peace will be with you. Does he say, know these things and the God of peace will be with you? No. He says, practice these things. Now, obviously, the father's not going to leave any true child of his. But I believe what Paul's saying here is there is a special subjective experience of the peace of God through the God of peace in those who choose to practice the things we've been talking about. In their relationships, in the things we think about, and what we do with our problems. You want to fully experience the peace of God, you've got to practice these things by the power of the Holy Spirit. I think about what A.W. Tozer wrote in his book, The Divine Conquest. That for some reason, when many of us believers think about God, we tend to focus one way or the other. We tend to focus on the past. Oh, I remember how powerful God was in the days of Abraham, Moses, David, and Paul. Oh, to be back there. Or we focus on the future. Oh, what power he's going to show one day when he cleans all this up and makes a new heavens and a new earth. He says what too many of us forget is that that same God of power in the past and the future is at work right now in the lives of believers. And he says it's as though we're in a river. You look upstream and it's coming down. There's David and Abraham and downstream there's the future. But guess what? That river goes right through where we are right now. The same powerful God of peace. And Paul has the audacity to say, if you practice these things, then the God of peace will be with you. So where does that leave us? In a world not characterized by peace. A world of people that need Jesus. I'm going to close with the words of G. Campbell Morgan in the early 1900s. What then shall we do in the day of frightfulness? We will do our duty, the thing that lies nearest, the thing we have to do tomorrow morning. We will do that and do it well and do it cheerfully. We will leave the rest to God, the sorrow, the suffering, and the issues. What this nation needs just now as much as and perhaps more than anything else is the multiplication of strong, quiet souls who are not afraid of evil tidings, who will go quietly to rest no matter what may be coming and will not add to the panic that demoralizes but will do their work. The men and women who can do that on such a day 
are the men and women who have hearts fixed, trusting in Jehovah. May God make us such men and such women. Amen. Father, thank you for this word from Paul. I'm the first to admit this is a battle, this side of heaven. But we've been given commands here. We've been given invitations to not only have that position with you, but to experience that peace in our lives. And I pray that by your spirit, that we would have willing hearts to obey what we've heard today and to make whatever choices we need to make. If there's somewhere, there's a rift between me and someone in the body of Christ, show me my part in mending that rift that we may have peace with our partners in ministry as much as is possible with me. Lord, if I'm in the middle of a problem and I'm totally honest right now and I'm not experiencing your peace, I'm strangled by worry, by your spirit. Help me to cast my cares upon you because you care for me. And please set up that garrison of your peace around my heart and my mind so I will no longer be paralyzed. And Father, if I have been lazy at the gate of my mind, maybe I didn't even realize kind of battle that's going on by your power help me set up a gate a guard check those thoughts and choose to dwell on only what pleases you and will help me experience your peace yes there are situations in this world that we have to focus on at times and they're not all pleasant but may we be filled with your word. May that speak louder in our hearts and our spirits than any other voice. Your word, your spirit, your truth. Lord, help this peace not just to be something we enjoy as a church, but to overflow to a world that needs it. It's like Steve's neighbor with cancer overflow in that situation bring him to Christ so that he can have that peace that assures him of his eternity use us each to that and help us to to pray for opportunities to look for open doors and to seize the moment we are here for such a time as this in Jesus name amen